And this is what causes wrong decisions and behavior patterns that are unhealthy. And if we can learn the knowledge of our identity, the knowledge of God's healing gift, we don't have to stay wounded. We don't have to stay damaged. We don't have to stay traumatized. All right, welcome to another episode of Think Like a Champion, a podcast dedicated to helping you win in every way and enjoy every day. I want to thank everyone who has written a review or shared this podcast on social media. Thank you so much. I appreciate you partnering with me to help expand our community of champions. Let's expand this. Let's grow this. Let's reach more people because more people need to think like a champion because when we think like champions, we live like champions and we operate on the level that champions operate and the devil, we put the devil on the run. All right. Now, listen, we have been spending several weeks on healing the trauma within. And we've been talking about how our identity is everything and what is most damaged through trauma in our lives, whether it's emotional abuse or a tragedy that we witnessed or experienced in our family or in our, in our life. The thing that, that pays the price is our sense of our true self. So trauma actually begins to warp our, our identity of ourself and begin to identify with the negative things that happened to us rather than our true self, who, who we really are in Christ. So the primary source of trauma is emotional abuse, one of the primary sources, but we've been abused in other ways, even by ourselves at times. But how do we know when trauma exists? It's because there's evidence of intrusive memories. We're remembering some aspect of our life continually, a negative experience or a negative memory or a negative season of our life. And it's painful, but we keep remembering it. Recurrent, unwanted, distressing memories of the traumatic event, reliving it as if it were happening, having flashbacks, things like this. This is it the surface level and it's also at deep levels for many people. But everybody deals with this at one level or another. So how do we heal our trauma and learn to respect ourselves and love ourselves so that we can then share with this world respect and love? There is so much pain in this world caused by others because they haven't resolved their their trauma. They haven't healed them. They haven't healed their trauma, reparented themselves and let God as their father father them. And that's what I'm here to help you do. One, how do we do this then? How do we heal the trauma? We talked about the first four. I'm going to get into the second four things that we can do to heal the trauma. One is we must acknowledge what we're up against. We can't live in denial and pretend it's not there. We have to see how it, how it fits into the big picture of our lives. We have to take control of it by acknowledging it and inviting God to heal it. Okay, I was traumatized by this person who abused me sexually or this situation that I was in this car accident and I'll never forget it. And I remember seeing my parent die or whatever it is, these kinds of things we have to we have to acknowledge that this is this is constantly um, intruding my my mind, constantly invading my mind and my thoughts or continually over a period of time. 
Um, when we can acknowledge it, the Bible says that's when we can pray to be healed of it. So we talked about that. Go back to our James chapter 5 reference from our last podcast if you want to go deeper on that and double click on that. Number two, we talked about we have to stop quitting when we face resistance. Most people in life don't grow past their trauma or past their plateau in life unless they face resistance and overcome it and push back on the resistance. It's, it's a learned habit that we have as humans sometimes to cave into resistance. The learn, we have to retrain our brain to, to not be afraid of resistance or not let resistance control us. When we face resistance, we need to add persistence. And when we do that, we push past the barriers that are keeping us hemmed into our pain and into our and in our suffering or in our trauma. Um, number three is the miracle of vulnerability. We talked about how you can only truly be vulnerable in the, in the presence of true love when you know that you're truly loved and you're not going to be rejected for your trauma. You're not gonna be rejected for the things you did or the things that were done to you. Okay, and that's how great God is. He accepts us in the beloved and he doesn't reject us and he, it, is, it is safe to be honest with God. He already knows everything, but he already, but he, and he also loves you nonetheless. And that's what makes us feel safe and be vulnerable. And then miracles happen. Four, we embrace, we need to learn to embrace the sacredness of anger. Remember there's, there's anger that, that we use towards good construction and anger that if we don't use it in the right way and process it the right way that is constructive, we'll end up processing it in the wrong way and it'll be destructive. Go back to that one, to the podcast from last time to, to really grab a hold of that. Number five, so we're gonna go through the next points. Number five, how do we heal trauma? We have to get to the root of the problem. This is something that many people don't ever do. There's a, now there's a great verse in the Bible in Romans chapter 11, verse 16, the last part of that verse, it says, if the root is holy, so are all the branches. Or if the root is whole, it's the word holy, H-O-L-Y, but it also implies whatever is, whatever the root is, is what the fruit is. So if the root is holy, the fruit will be holy. If the root is whole and healthy, then the fruit, the branches will be whole and healthy. So we have to, we have to understand the root of the problem. It's not your age, it's not what, what is, what caused trauma in your life and what causes us to behave in ways that we regret or that others regret and we don't, we stay hardened to it is, it's not because of the color of your skin. It's not because the age you are. It's not because of the country you were born in. It's because we haven't got to the root of the problem. The root of the problem, well, I'll tell you this. Like, I've shared this with some of our men in our men's, one of our men's gatherings. And, and one, of the one of the statistics that I, I studied was the number one commonality for men on death row men that are on death row for murder, what is the number one common denominator for all of those men? Is it poverty? 
studies show it's not. Is it abandonment? Well, this is, these are the things we think it is. We think this is what's common. It's poverty, it's abandonment, it's the part of the streets that a person grew up on, prenatal drug use. All of those reasons, all of those things are bad and all of those things can create problems in a person's life, but that's not the common denominator among the people that are on death row for murder. The common denominator is illiteracy. Now, I, re I, share you, I share that with you not because I'm talking to people that are illiterate. I'm sharing this with you to show you that sometimes we're dealing with things at a surface level, poverty and abandonment, drug use, or whatever we think is the cause, but the real cause is something deeper and, it, and often something simpler. So realize this, that the number one reason and the number one common denominator of men or people that are on death row is illiteracy. Their inability to, or their, their lack of having learned to read, to write, and to process information in the right way. That's illiteracy. And it's the common denominator. Because if you can educate someone in emotional, uh, emotional health or emotional intelligence, if you can educate someone on how to read, how to write, how to express their thoughts through writing, how to gain thoughts through reading and how to express their thoughts through writing, you begin to heal all of the things that are causing that person to make desperate decisions that hurt others. So when you, when you, when you come back to this common denominator of illiteracy, it's actually... We, we, we've known this for thousands of years because in Hosea chapter four, verse six, the Bible says, God says, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. So it's really illiteracy, a lack of knowledge, a lack of knowledge of who they are in Christ, a lack of knowledge of their identity. Illiteracy, I believe we're living in a spiritually illiterate generation and even among Christians, we have illiteracy when it comes to identity. We don't know how to read and we don't know how to write our identity. We don't know how to, we don't know, we don't believe it. We don't know it. We're not sure of it. We're not convinced of it. When you read something, you're convinced of what you read. When you know how to read, when you know how to write, you're convinced of what you're writing. Most Christians, I would say, are not convinced of their identity in Christ. And this is what causes wrong decisions and behavior patterns that are unhealthy. And if we can learn the knowledge of our identity, the knowledge of God's healing gift, we don't have to stay wounded, we don't have to stay damaged, we don't have to stay traumatized. It really is a powerful tool of healing is literacy. Learning how to read the situation, learning how to read period, but also learning how to read the situation, learning how to write, learning how to express ourselves. The failure to learn how to express yourself will cause you to express yourself in ways that destroy you and others along the way. Boy, if we could get a hold of this one. Number six, this is the next step to healing trauma in our lives. Number six, choose your pain. Choose your pain. This may sound like a psychological trick 
here, but this is true in life, is that there's either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And we have to choose which pain, like we're going to experience pain. It's painful to discipline yourself to do something every day, like get up at 6 a.m. every day and not hit the snooze button, which is one of the reasons why we, get, we start a domino effect of, of um, procrastination in our day is because we train ourselves to not even accept and acknowledge our own deadline for when we're going to wake up or our own timeline for when we're going to wake up. We'd say, I'm going to wake up at six o'clock, but then we do everything to fail at waking up at six o'clock, like going to bed too late and then feeling like we have the luxury of the snooze button. And I'm not trying to hate on anybody snoozing, but we have to, we have to choose our pain. Choose the pain. This is how we heal. We can choose the pain of discipline to learn about our trauma, to get the therapy that we need or get the processing of prayer and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our church and in a, in a connection like this. We have to either be disciplined in those ways and, be, and, and, and have pain in being consistent. There is pain in being consistent. It's easy to, to, to do good when you feel good. It's easy to do the right thing when you want to do the right thing and when the opportunity is there for it. It's, it's, it's easy to just do things when you feel them. It's painful to do things because you want to build a life of character and a life that wins and a life of being a champion. It's painful. You know, ask Tom Brady, did he, did he choose the pain of discipline or the pain of regret to be able to play in the professional football league at the age of 45 when most people have retired five or 10 years earlier and still at a competitive level? My point is he chose the pain of discipline they asked him, you know, hey, what are you going to do uh, during your off week? Are you going to, you know, just just chill and eat pizza and and um, and cookies or something like that? And he said, no, that's why I was drafted in the sixth round, because that was my diet, pizza and cookies. That's why I was drafted in the sixth round. He ended up learning the pain of discipline and he became a champion and modeled what a champion should do and should be and his workout regimen and his diet and his eating uh, habits are completely disciplined and it's painful at first because you you have to you have to feel that and sense that you're losing out on something that you think is a reward or a luxury but I'm telling you choose your pain you're going to have it one way or the other the pain of regret when you look back or the pain of discipline. Disciplined is a mind and body dynamic duo. When you think great, you feel great. When you feel great, you think great. They feed each other, okay? Listen, choose the pain, or dis choose the pain of discipline or you will become a pain in the 
you know. People that are pains in our butts are people that have selfishly neglected the pain of progress and self-growth. By neglecting the pain of progress and self-growth, they become a pain to live with. They become a, a pain to work with. They become a pain to play with. Let's not be those people. But you got to choose your pain. Every day we got to choose which pain, discipline or regret. Number seven, and then we'll get to the eighth one and we'll close in today's podcast, but the seventh way of healing from trauma is movement and exercise. This may seem unspiritual, but I have found that movement and exercise is really an incre incredible spiritual experience. And by inviting the body to work, you're healing the trauma because trauma disrupts the body's natural balance and equilibrium. And so what exercise does is it helps repair the nervous system of the brain and the body. There is something that is repairing. That's why so many people um, get involved in stretching because it's simultaneously painful and relieving all at the same time. Why? Because it's working. It's causing your central nervous system to function properly and reset properly. Movement and exercise. What makes us contain our trauma is when we just stay stagnant. But when you begin to move and when you begin to put a demand on your mind and your body to make your body better, I know this is, this is part of the pain of discipline, but it really is not that bad if you just start getting into the habit of it. Trauma disrupts our body's natural equilibrium, but exercise and movement help repair our equilibrium and our nervous system. You can study this. I'm trying to give you these things from a, from a point of view of how God, that's why my, my, I'm down to number seven when it comes to movement and exercise because it's not the first thing. It's not the second thing, but it is a thing. It is one of the things that helps heal you, okay? And I would encourage anybody that feels like they need some sort of therapy, whether it's physical therapy, whether it's psychological therapy, whether it's uh, rehabilitation therapy, like, like don't hate on that stuff. Don't make that unspiritual and make it sound like, oh, you, you needed that, what a crutch. Oh, you needed that kind of therapy, that's so weak. Why don't you just get God to heal you? This is part of God healing you. This is one of the ways that God uses to heal. We should not shame other people or ourselves for any of these natural sides, this natural side of healing trauma in our lives. Why is this so important? Because when you're healthy emotionally, everything good flows out of that root. Remember we talked about how if the root be holy, get to the root, if the root be holy, the branches will be too. All right, number eight. I call this part of healing trauma 
it's a part of our everyday life that we should have and tap into. It's called the power, I call it the power of connection. The power of connection. Now, connection is how power flows, right? So the electricity in the building that I'm in, the electricity of the building you're in, it has to be connected. There are wireless connections all over the world to give you access to the power of Wi-Fi, right? And life is frustrating when we're disconnected from the power source. How many times have you been on a plane or been in a coffee shop or been in your house and you can't get the Wi-Fi to work? You're paying $50 a month or whatever it is and you, you, got, you got to walk to another corner. We're, we have that in this building. We've got to walk different parts of the, because of the way the steel is and all that. But it's, it's, a, it's a drag. It's a bummer to, um, to, to be disconnected from the power source. And it's frustrating. It makes life more difficult. Now, there's a professor of psychology in Vancouver who was years ago, he carried out an incredible experience that years ago that I think really helps us understand the power of connection. And what uh, Professor Alexander explained was the idea of addiction that we've all got in our heads at that time, that story that we thought addiction comes partly from, a, addiction comes one way that, that these tests would show, he realized that those tests were flawed. And what was, what was happening at the time before Professor Alexander challenged this theory was they would do these tests where they would put a rat in a cage and they would give the rat two water bottles. One is just pure water and the other one was laced with heroin. And if you, do, if you, if you put a rat in a cage with those two bottles, the rat will almost always drink the drug water and always kill itself quickly. It would kill itself quickly by getting addicted to the heroin water, heroin lace water. That's how we thought at the time addictions worked. And by getting addicted to the wrong things in life, we would get into we would get addicted to the wrong things in life simply by tasting the wrong things. So this was believed for many decades. People used to say, once you try this particular drug, you can never get off it. That's what the belief was because they only experimented with this rat in a cage with the drug water and the regular water. But in the 70s, Professor Alexander comes along and he looks at this experience, at these experiments, and he noticed something. He said, hey, what we're doing is we're putting the rat in an empty cage. There's nothing else to do except use these drugs. So he said, let's try a different experiment. So what he did was he built a cage that he called Rat Park, which is basically heaven for rats. They have a ton of cheese in this Rat Park. They've got colored balls. They've got tunnels. They've got loads of friends. This is the key. They had loads of other rats. They also had both the water bottles, the normal water and the drug heroin lace water. But here's the fascinating thing. In Rat Park, they don't like the drug water. They almost never use it. They taste it, but they don't get addicted to it. None of them, the test showed, none of them ever overdosed. So you have almost 100% overdose when these rats were isolated 
and 0% overdose when they had connected lives. When they had connected lives to other rats. Who knows a rat? Raise your hand out there. You're watching. You know a rat. I know rats. You know rats. We all know some rats. But these, when these rats were connected to each other, there was no demand or no desire to, for the, hair, the water that was laced with heroin. This is an incredible breakthrough in understanding the power of connection. And when we understand this, that God created us to be connected, God created us to be a, a, connected to a community of champions, to be connected to a community of people that we do life with, that we call our church, we call a church. It's people that are not just going to hear a sermon, it's people that are, that are connected through small groups, through serving, through giving, through generosity, through missions, through outreach. There's so many things that happen in the dynamic of a connected community that gives you, even when you taste the bad stuff, you don't get addicted to it because you have something that's stronger. It's called connection. The one thing that's strong, the common denominator with people that are addicted to drugs is they are disconnected from family, disconnected from a consistent body of people that they can call family and feel safe with. That's why God gave us the miracle of the church, the body of Christ. Psalm 92 says when we're planted in the house of God, planted in a community of believers, planted in a community of imperfect people that are thankful for the perfect love that God has for all of them and they learn how to love one another, there is almost no risk of people staying addicted to anything bad. Why? Because they are continually experiencing the power, even the invisible attributes of connection, connection. Now, I got a whole story that I want to share with you on connection, but I don't have time. So I will wrap this up by saying there are three things we need to tap into to experience the power of connection. And here they are. We'll talk about this more in detail next time. The three things we need to tap into to experience the power of connection. Number one, connection with God in relationship. And I'm going to talk about that more in detail later. Connection with God in relationship with him. Connection with each other in church community and connection to the world outside of our, outside of these connections or as a, a part of these connections, connecting to people that are out in the world through kindness and through servanthood and through creating bridges from them to God, being a bridge for people to a good God, a loving God. Boy, this connection, like many Christians think they should just be connected to God, and then others think they should just be connected to the church, but we should be both connected to God and to one another. And most Christ, many Christians think we shouldn't have anything to do with this world. But we, how are we going to reach this world if we are not connected to it. That doesn't mean we're depending on the system that this world offers, where our trust is in God, we're depending on God. But we need a healthy connection with people that are 
not in the family of God yet because we want them, we want to introduce them to the power of connecting with God and with one another. I hope that helps today. Thanks for joining me on Think Like a Champion. Now I've gone through eight steps to heal yourself and to let God heal you of trauma and emotional pain. And I really pray that you tap into these things because they work. So thanks again. Would you share this? Also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you to those of you who give. We'd like to take one moment and invite you to give at lifechangerschurch.com slash give. Why, are we, why am I inviting you to give financially? Because I'm inviting you to help pay it forward and to help get this message, this healing out to more and more people expand our community and culture of champions that expands the healing power of God through connection. Go to lifechangerschurch.com slash give and thank you for each and every one of you who gives in this podcast and during these times. Thanks again for joining me today. Can't wait to see you on our next Think Like a Champion. If you don't have a church home that you can call family, join us at lifechangerschurch.com find one of our locations in the Chicago area or our global community online, lifechangerschurch.com. Love you guys and we'll see you at our next podcast.